Hi, welcome back. Today we're talking about ad blocking and how it will represent the end of literally everything. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Uh, I'm fine. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Close call for you. Uh huh. With your uh, almost uh, being gone today. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm breaking the trend because usually uh, I, when I get called for duty, jury duty, I almost always have to go in. Yes. So here's, I don't know, here's, here's the thing. Here's okay. the way this works. You ever had jury duty? <laughs> no. God, I get it hard. I get it you so You have had more jury duty than anybody else I've ever met. Yeah. No, it's pretty remarkable, actually. I've gotten a lot of jury duty. So what happens is you get this notice and it says, oh, get ready for this week where your life's going to be upside down, maybe. And then, uh, and then they let you know. You get a, uh, you get a note that says, uh, you know, you got to call in on this Friday to find out if we need you on Monday. Mm-hmm. And then well, if, you come, if they need you to come in on Monday, basically you call every day. So uh, I, I dodged the big bullet. The big bullet is Friday because if they don't need you on Monday, like that's a really good sign. And then they didn't need me today either. I celebrated. I had uh, I made Brussels sprouts to celebrate last night. Oh wow! How do you make mm-hmm. them? Oh, brother, do you really want to know? Yeah, of course. Sure, eighty-seven A beta eighty-seven A. Oh, the Marco Mike. Yes, and then so what I do is first of all I, I make a package of bacon, and uh, I take it out, you know, and I uh, you know drain it off and everything. I leave some of the grease in there. I cut up uh, two pounds, quote unquote two pounds of Brussels sprouts. And if you ever made Brussels sprouts, you know you throw half of it away. It's horrible. Horrible. Once, yeah. you, once you peel your Brussels sprouts, you throw half of it away. Yeah. I should make that into a stock or put in a slurry. Making a, make a little note to myself. And then I, um, I do it in the oven at like 400 for, you know, maybe 20 minutes. And it's real greasy. But, uh, oh, and then I put the bacon in. So then I, I smash it up like three or four uh, sticks of bacon, throw that in, mix it up, kosher salt, pepper, secret salt, and then you, um, you know about secret salt, right? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I do. That's my daughter and I call accent because we're pretty sure that my wife won't be able to figure it out. <laughs> Load of secret salt. <laughs> secret salt. Is, my wife hates secret salt and we don't tell her about it. So when she has hives and stuff, she's just confused. Oh my gosh. No, not really. No hives. And so, uh, yeah, do that for about 20 minutes and boy, is it ever good. I don't know how... Dan Benjamin, I don't know how Brussels sprouts became one of my favorite foods I will just tell you that it started at some point with the roasting process. I roast them. Because the problem is, I, everybody grows up with like boiled Brussels sprouts. Yeah, that's the worst. No, you've got, to cook, them, you've got to cook them in, in, in the oven on like a pan or a tin or what in a thing. And that's the, or a lorry or, a, or a, <laughs> a, a lift. They're amazing when done right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got a special Brussels sprouts tin. No, it's great. I, you know what? That was a horrible recipe. Here's what you do. You get, you know, I, don't, I don't need to explain this, do I? Yeah, people know about it. roasting Brussels sprouts, I right? I think there's a lot of people who are going to be helped by this episode. Well, you make the bacon first. So you got bacon. And then you leave some of the, most of the uh, bacon grease in there. And then you have your prepared Brussels sprouts. So you make sure the oven's like 400. You've been doing your bacon at like a 400 anyway, so you're all good to go. And uh, it's a delight. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Are you hearing weird things? Yeah, you're dropping out a lot. Well, why don't I call you back? I, I'm not feeling no, no. good about Skype these days, but. Well, isn't it kind of a zero or a one with Skype? I mean, like yesterday was a poop show, and but today today it works, right? <laughs> I guess. So you, I, I had Skype open a lot of yesterday. Yeah. And I would see people, but you couldn't record. The, 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 you'd see people, but the service w- wasn't working. 
Yeah, it's like totally down, right? It was totally down. Yeah, it was completely down. It's a snow day for podcasters. Yeah, and we couldn't do anything. And people are like, "Let's use Google Voice." Does but that work? No, Google Hangouts. I mean, it works. It's it's just not listenable. No one, no one in their right mind would produce a podcast that way. But well, <laughs> you can I, talk I, to other I know, people. I know some people. There are shows with people that I love a lot and love listening to, but they record that way. And even as somebody with dead ears who doesn't care about this stuff, it's still kind of not quite up to snuff for me. Yeah, it's I still, agree. I don't know. Last thing I want to do is get in on the whole like podcast quality thing, but like, you know, buy yourself a mic, talk into it. You know what I'm saying? That's really should be the mantra for a podcaster, I would think. I mean, it doesn't even need to be that nice, but like, you know, I, I, I can't believe how many podcasts it still sounds like somebody's talking into their computers, um, you know, built in input. Anyway, that's all very important stuff. So, so now, see, okay, but now you're facing the same problem that I face with jury duty, which is, and, and so are you getting why jury duty is complicated, Dan Benjamin? Yes, we have talked about it the last time I think you had it, but I've, I'm really, I don't know if I'm lucky or if they just know who I am and don't want me. I don't know why I yeah, haven't I would, I would assume that they know who you are. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, somebody with strong opinions and a strong unwillingness to make a decision that would affect somebody else's life in that way. Well, guess what? You're now the perfect juror. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Is like my, all of my uh, Holden Caulfield qualities are exactly what they want in a juror. Yeah. Somebody who's like, I'm pretty dissatisfied <laughs> with the process and I think decisions are hard and I'm not sure that I should stand in judgment. Well, perfect, come on in. No, I don't think that's anything. I don't have any problem with the process or anything like that. I just don't feel no, like. No, no, but, no, but that's what I'm saying, though, is that like all the stuff I thought would get me off in the past because I'm like, you know what? I, you know, I don't. And they're like, well, no, we want people who will look at both sides of this and who think this is difficult. It's like, oh, God, I should just be racist or something. I should, I should, I should, I should come in there like with uh, some Dukes of Hazard cars or something. <laughs> they would still want you if they you lived still here. Want me. I'm like, man, I, 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 it's so the problem, the problem with jury duty is important and we should all do jury duty. We should not try to get out of jury duty. Imagine yourself in that situation. You would want somebody smart there, right? Yes. The I would want, is, I would definitely want you or me on the jury that's deciding my fate. Well, I don't know about me because I'm secretly looking at my phone and Googling things a lot of the time. Can you do that? Can you have your No, you're totally not allowed to do that. How do you do it? But it's it's crazy. It's like giving you a slightly difficult division problem and going like you're not allowed to use a calculator. And you're like, well, you know, I could do this manually, but anyways, you just look at Google News for this person. <laughs> the problem is, and I understand why this is, and I, it's actually, I think it used to be with jury duty, they didn't even have the check-in, call-in thing, right? So the, if, if, if it's not clear, when you get your you know appearance thing, like you, you call in, they say, I am in group number Earth 616. Will you be, well, you know, we need you on Monday at eight or whatever. So it's nice that you don't. <laughs> 616. Isn't that a funny coincidence? Yeah, that that's what it's called. <laughs> yes. But, um, but like, so I'm not going to cancel the six podcasts I have to record this week and the five days of picking my kid up. I mean, whatever, big deal. I have an easy job and like picking up my kid is not hard, but it's disruptive. So I'm not going to like cancel the whole week. So it's like a day by day thing. I have to email everybody each day and go like, hey, guess what? We hit the jackpot. We get to record tomorrow. Anyway. Oh, let's just throw this whole show out and start over. All right. That's cool. Mm. How's it going? Big week? Yeah. Huge week here. Huge. What's, what's, what's new with Dan? What's happening in the, in the world of Dan? I mean, there's stuff I can't 
can't talk about yet, but I mean, well, then you shouldn't. Are there things you can talk about? Just Dan? podcasting, a lot of podcasting. Are you doing that thing? Are you telegraphing something where you're supposed to go big news? Can't tell anyone. No, no, but you're doing that kind of. No. Okay. Um, and what else? What else do you have to? You're still doing your show with Roderick. It's still very amusing. Yeah, he's uh, he's always surprising. Never know what to expect. You go into it with a plan, and the plan is never, never exactly works out. But that's the fun part of the show, I think. Yep. Yeah. No. And it, it, and someone came out with like a, an amazing like all the great shows thing for uh, Roderick on the line. We have to talk about that. Oh my god, that's insane. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it is. What is uh what is that nice person's name? Oh, come on, mouse. Um, come on, come on, mouse. Uh, I think I saw it. Didn't I see your mouse? Did I send it? Was that the right one when I sent you a picture of it? Yeah, it's on my list of things to talk about. Okay. Uh listener Paul. <laughs> and on his Twitter page, he's Paul DeCarly. Uh and he has an inscrutable Twitter name, P L D C R L. And uh he I didn't fact check this, but it seems about right. He went through the first, what, like something like 120 episodes, maybe, of Roderick on the Line, up through all, up to all the great shows, through all the great shows. And he found the titular line in every episode of the show and put it into an audio file. And it's, it's like almost 10 minutes long. That's amazing. Oh my God, it's so good. Thank you so much for doing that, Paul. That, uh, I listened to it like four times. It's, it's so funny. Just to hear John Roderick say the phrase, we paradise in our wake. Like, just make me laugh. <laughs> that was super, super duper nice. Yeah. But you're, you're coming out of the shell on your, Rod- on your Roderick program. You seem to be coming out of your shell a little more. Maybe uh, you're less wowed by him. No, I'm, like I'm more wowed. Out. I'm more wowed. I feel like I need to step up, step up to the plate a little get bit. A, get a, a, bigger, a, a bigger shell, a newer plate. That's right. A much bigger shell. Right, so you, do, you, do you stay in your shell to step up to the plate? <laughs> yes. And uh, we're we're finally at the part. Uh, my son and I reading uh, uh, Howard Hughes's Life and Madness. We're finally to the what I would say the good part, which is the madness part. We had to skip a lot of the. Uh, there was a lot of uh, chapters about TWA's finances, which he did not get into as much as I was thinking he might. You would think that a kid would really care a lot about an airline's finances in the 1960s. The seven-year-old wants to know, you know. It's a natural ma- curiosity for a boy. Fiscal, you know, malfeasance in the city limits. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know. But hmm. we, uh, we skipped through a lot of chapters and got to the point where he starts living out of hotels. And so now we're in, in the good part. And a, a big concern of mine was that he would hear it and hear the story and start to be like, I wish I could live in a hotel and have paddles and use 15 Kleenexes, you know, mm-hmm. to open a door. But he's, he thinks it's ridiculous. I, I mean, he feels bad. You were worried he would find that attractive? But I was worried he would find it attractive because it, you Ooh. know, runs in the family, as they say. Oh, right. Yeah. Acorn does not fall far from the uh, shrubs. Right. Right, right. But so, it can roll. Can roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know the, uh, the 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 madness Howard Hughes. I always knew as a as a kid and growing up was was when he was you know living in the hotels in Vegas. But you know when you read the book, you don't get this so much from the movie. But when you read the book, you you get that whole thing of like like what hotel will have Howard Hughes because he's obviously such. There's so much going on with this guy. At one point, didn't he just buy a hotel because he wanted to live there? Yeah, I think he wanted to rent out a whole. No spoilers. No, no spoilers. I think he wanted to rent out a whole floor or do something in the hotel, playing his his 
because he was hard of hearing. I think he wanted to play the movies loud and he got a complaint and he he just bought the whole hotel to make the problem go away. Why not? But it was after like weeks or months of pushback and, and drama. And he's like, finally, like, ah, I'll just buy the place. Yep. But the part that they illustrate so well in the movie is before... I mean, you know, once once you've kind of given up on sanity or once the world has given up on your sanity, that's that's interesting. But it's like when he's still having to operate and talk to Alec Baldwin through the door and stuff like that. Yes. Like that's some of the most compelling stuff. I mean, not, not just the ha-ha pee and bottle stuff we talk about, but just like the, the struggle with himself. And, you know, and, and all these anecdotes of him like doing, being able to get it together long enough to have a conference call or like a speakerphone call with somebody for a few minutes before he descends back into like utter madness. It really is, and we've talked about this movie before, and I, it's still, a, I think, a really, really great movie, even though it's not completely in line with the book as far as accuracy and timeline of events and things like that. I think that's okay because I think it it sort of captures the spirit of his earlier life and in, a, in a way that, as you're saying, is very inspiring in a lot of ways because here's somebody who had a lot of difficulties and had a lot of... Uh, a lot of problems, even though the problems in many cases just came from his own mind as opposed to external problems. And that's what I think makes the story so interesting. It's because here's somebody who had it in the time for sure, but I think if you adjust for inflation today, essentially unlimited money. He could do whatever he wanted to do. And that didn't matter. That didn't help him. In fact, in so many ways, especially toward the end of his life, that's the thing that actually made it much, much worse for him. There's one chapter in the book that talks about how he had sort of created his own mental institution, but unlike a real mental mental institution where the rules and guidelines are designed by doctors to help the patients, in theory, uh, that that the patient was writing the rules and people right. were following them blindly, completely, and perfectly, even when they were insane, when they were completely wrong. So it, it just, it became, and no one was, he had no friends essentially. So there was no one there to tell him you need help or let's get you some help or this isn't okay. It, you had the opposite. You had people enabling. And in fact, when he, there was one section where he talks about like getting a cheese, uh, a grilled cheese sandwich. And he said, this is the best grilled cheese sandwich I've ever had. Well, that meant that like the guys that worked for him went to the restaurant where he got it and essentially interviewed the cook and people about how it was made and like wrote a long memorandum about this is the way that grilled cheese sandwiches must be made using this bread from this place in this way. And, you know, you, it, reading it, it's just, very, it's very difficult to read in a lot of ways because it's, mm -hmm. it, it feels like he had created this cage for himself that just kept getting smaller and smaller as he got older and older. And it's, it's a miserable, miserable existence. That's a really, really good way to put it. Yeah. As, as the, um, I mean, can, can we call it OCD? Is that is that okay to call? Yeah, definitely. That seems like what he had. He had he had obsessions and especially compulsions. Yeah. I think that's. I'm not a physician, but that seems fair to say. And then you know, and then at least in the movie, I I, I read most of the book. I didn't read the whole book, but you know, you get the feeling that um, I guess one way I would put it, like in the point where Catherine Hepburn's trying to help him get it together. Right. At one point, she still loves him um, despite all of these things and. I guess the phrase I would use, it becomes more difficult to help him. And one way it becomes more, or, or even more difficult to sort of get to him through this combination, this escalating combination of his own um, disorder 
getting more, you know, chronically like pointed, like just that it became less of like an occasional thing or more of an intrusive, less of an invasive thought thing and more of like an all the time thing. Mm -hmm. But then also like you describe um, the way that, you know, George Lucas, like he was able to surround himself with people who would follow his craziest whim all the way down. And, you know, to be insulated from what else is out there in the world. I mean, who knows who could have helped him at that point? But boy, can you imagine that? Can you imagine living in a world where it's on the one hand you feel, forgive me my use of a now disreputable word, but to feel crazy yeah. at one point yeah. because you can tell that you're at odds with the rest of the world. But then to have the, the, the resources and power to be able to make the world that you want like how truly crazy that is. It That's really, when you get into yes, like yes, Colonel exactly. Kurtz territory. Right, yeah. right. Because there he had with this wealth that he had and with these incredibly devoted, loyal employees who would just do whatever he wanted. You know, there's so much of, of what he wrote were like instructions on how to buy food from a grocery store and how to put it into your car and how to bring it from your car into the building. And like... I keep wondering to myself, like, were these people really doing it? Like, they talk about how to, there's, he has like a memorandum on how to open a can of fruit. And right. it involves like, like washing the can and the steps, not just like how to wash the can, but like how to prepare the room and the table and what to, how many layers. You want to, you of, want to avoid uh, cross contamination. Yeah. And how many layers of newspaper to put and how many paddles to use to touch the knob and how you should wash your hands and then how you should use the brush and brand new bar of soap and like all of these things. And I have to wonder, like, were the people really doing this? Because there's no way that he would have known. Like, there's no way he would have known it that you just show up with a bowl and it has some fruit in it. Like, you don't know if they did that. And I wonder, like, was there a man, you know, in his 30s holding his head at a 45 degree angle and washing his hands like 10 times and then using like 15 layers of Kleenex to touch a brush to scrub the outside of a can of fruit. Like, was he really doing that? Was someone really doing that? Because that's even more crazy if they actually really, truly did it. And the book doesn't seem to answer that. I, I don't know the answer to that, but it does make me think about all kinds of things that happen in management in general, where <clears throat> in that instance, I mean, it seems unlikely that everybody always followed his orders all the time. But... Uh, what can I use as a reference here that's not really controversial? There have been many things that have happened in the past where people were asked to do something uh, impossibly terrible or impossibly weird or, you know, impossibly nonsensical. Yeah. And whether or not you thought, I mean, you know, when I worked at McDonald's, there was a certain way that you had to do everything. Mm -hmm. It was because they knew that they were dealing with people that could have a, a you know, a variation of uh, skills, ability, and intelligence, and they had to make it as simple as possible. And if you had a better way, well, forget about it. That's not how we do it here. Or the army, right? There's, there's you know, the right way and the army way. Like, this is just the way that we do it because this is how we do it. So on the one hand, I don't know, people probably, uh, you know, uh, if it's two in the morning <clears throat> and they're the only person in the place, you know, maybe they're not going to get 15 paper towels to open the, the can of fruit. But here's what I will say is the thing that then becomes more important. So whether or not you're, you're, you're into Howard's ethos about doing all that stuff, there are still people in that organization at a high level who are going to be 
held to account for if anything goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of his top lieutenants, you know, this is the same as true. Jeez, it's true for, for the Nazis and Scientologists and Elvis Presley. It's true for everybody. If you're one of your, if you're like sunny or red, you want to make sure everything is done exactly the way Elvis wants it done. Right. Because if anything comes up, the most capricious thing in the world, Howard decides that there, that this fruit needs to be quarantined because people didn't do it right. Whether or not that has any basis in reality, it's going to be those, let's call them lieutenants, who are going to be held, uh, to account for, for how it went that way. Yeah. So even if he thinks that like magic pixie dust dander landed on the top of the can and he thinks that's a thing, like there's, they're still mad at him whether or not that's a real thing. So that's always interesting to think about uh, in an organization <laughs> is that, well, you know, you may or may not have beliefs about what the actual rules are, but you know your job as a manager is to make sure that those get rules done. If for no other reason, then you're going to be out on your ass if the boss doesn't like it. And then finds out about it. But that's the thing. If you're working with somebody who's, you know, and, and think about those kinds of stories of people who some of the most interesting stories, even just stories that you and I enjoy or movies that we enjoy or are, are to some extent about somebody who had the power to create a fantastical world. Mm-hmm. So with Howard Hughes, he was able to like basically create this, this environment where his madness was turned into reality. Like he got to make the amusement park that w- that had been designed in his mind. Uh, c- certainly, to a large extent, that was true with Adolf Hitler and and with with people like that. Or or again, there are certain <laughs> religious organizations where the most bananas things in the world are being carried out by tens of thousands of people because right. that's that's how it works. Those are very interesting. Think about Silence of the Lambs. Think about the first time. I mean, I read the book before I saw the movie, but still, the indelible image of the first time you see that basement. Where you're like, this person's yeah. madness yeah. has now been manifested in this entire uh, giant basement. Those worlds are fascinating to us because we would like to think that the rules that we're enforcing and the bosses that we're following are to some extent like copus, that they're not like actually mental. But when you see what would, hap- what would happen if somebody's interior world was made external, I think that'll always be a very interesting topic. So I don't know the answer, but I imagine people mostly like, like you know, there's the scenes of people wearing gloves in the hallways and mm-hmm. stuff. I'll, yeah. I'll bet that was pretty well enforced because there's always somebody above you who's going to who's going to be mad if uh, if it oh I mean like firing the woman firing the person who had been near a woman who had cancer Wasn't right that a story right okay the way I remember it was there was like a I think it's even more bizarre than that if I'm remembering right it's really outlandish there was a guy who worked for him and was like if in his top three people and that guy's wife had some kind of slightly contagious, they call it a disease. They don't get into what it was, so we don't really know what it was. She survived and was fine. But as soon as Howard Hughes found out that this guy's wife had it, he wrote this memorandum about like, this is more important than our than running TWA. This is more important than our financial crisis. This is more important than anything. This person must be isolated and quarantined. And he didn't, it was 15 years he first of all he told the 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 guy the uh, whose wife was sick you you cannot come and work you have to work from home and it was fifteen years before he would be in that guy's presence physical presence again he would not physically be in the same room as that guy that's for just amazing years. fifteen wow. years and it was like his main guy I mean it's 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 really <sighs> difficult you know my introduction to uh, to like Howard Hughes and OCD and all, all of that stuff 
came when I was a kid and I saw some parody movie that had like this guy walking around with like his feet in Kleenex boxes. Ha ha. You know, and it, and it, and it never really, I never really understood much about that or what that meant or what that was. Was it the, was it the Simpsons? No, I remember the Simpsons episode though, where Mr. Burns kind of was, was seeing germs and things like that. But again, it was like a ha ha moment and it wasn't, I don't think until I was an adult that I started learning more about it. And, you know, you think back then, like they didn't have the term OCD. They didn't have an understanding of obsessive compulsive behavior in, in the common sense of like when Rain Man came out, people were like, oh, this is, this is this disorder that some people have that's a problem for people. You know, it's, it's autism. And here's, we, I had never heard of that before. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anyone who had it. But now, especially for parents, people are very familiar uh, mm-hmm. with, with that. It, it was the same thing back then. No one knew what OCD was. They didn't know that this was something that could affect people. Now, kind of everybody uses the term OCD, whether they really know what it means. Everyone kind of tosses the term around. But in general, there is this understanding of like, oh, if these kinds of behaviors, I would think even somebody very vaguely familiar with OCD would be able to put their finger on the problem. But back then, I think it was unknown, and it, it's just the depressing part. The sad part is how this there he had built this entire culture of enabling around himself. But that kind of thing still does happen today. I mean, if you remember the story of, of Michael Jackson, people who are you know surrounding themselves not with people who can help them, but people who can enable their their behavior. It's uh, it's a, still a common thing, right? Which in that case is peculiarly difficult for somebody with uh, Howard's condition because, you know, when once you delve a little further, and I'm not an expert on this, please forgive me, but, you know, one of the problems with, with OCD, as I understand it, is that nobody's happy doing the rituals. You know, you if you have an obsessive thought that leads to a compulsive behavior, the compulsive behavior is not actually making you happy. The right. thing that you, you think is that the, the thing that in your head is helping to give you a little bit of relief from the obsessive thought Apparently, from what I read anyway, the compulsive actions are what come out of a sort of like amelioration for the obsessive thought. So what might start as, I'm obsessed with the idea that even though I love my children, I might throw them onto a train track. Like that's a thing. That's that people have this. Right. That That's an obsessive thought. Then the compulsive action might be constantly counting your children. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Right. I always count them three times. One, two, three, one, two, three. And that, but that something that, that like burns enough cycles for a minute to give you a little bit of relief from the obsessive thought. The troubling part then is like, you know, even, and people who have OCD will say, well, the thing is it doesn't actually help. And I know it doesn't help. And that makes me feel crazy. And that makes it worse. And then I become more obsessive and compulsive and the music goes around. But imagine, like you say, if you're able to create an infrastructure where those kinds of habits were not just habitualized, but were turned into like white papers. Like, wow. Right, right, right. Colonel Kurtz. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Um, did you want to tell me about something that you like? I would love to tell you about fresh books. We talked about it. I even gave them a little pop quiz, the listeners, last week of the, their favorite things, their favorite parts of, of freelancing. And the fact is, it, very few people, if you were to ask them, what do you like best about freelancing or running your own business or being being involved in a small business, I, I would be shocked if anyone said, I really like invoicing and following up with the people that I've billed to make sure they pay me on time. That is probably not on anybody's favorite list of things to do. It's definitely not on my favorite list of things to do. It's uh, probably number one on my least favorite things 
to do. And so if you're like me, if you're like a lot of people who are running their own business or doing freelance work, FreshBooks is absolutely for you because you'll be creating and sending invoices in minutes. You just sign up. And once you're there, that's it. Like you can start entering in customers and start sending out invoices. And what's really cool about it is they send the invoice out to your customer. The customer clicks the link they get in the email and it's logged behind the scenes like they're keeping track of it. So you don't have to play that guessing game of like, did the customer ever get our invoice? Are they ever going to respond? How do I know? You know, because now it'll show that it got opened. And if you send it to multiple people through FreshBooks, it'll show you who opened it. You can set up different email addresses and things like that for an accounting department and someone to automatically CC whenever an invoice gets sent out. It makes it super easy to do. They can also send PDF versions. They'll even, you know, obviously you got to pay for postage, but they'll even uh, they'll even send a paper copy of an invoice to like an old school customer who doesn't have a computer. Like they've thought of everything, and they've got a special deal here for our listeners: FreshBooks free for thirty days. You go to freshbooks.com/backtowork and enter "back to work" in the "How did you hear about us?" section when you sign up. That will be helping the show a great deal, and it will also be helping you because you'll get the 30 days free, and I think you will really like FreshBooks. So again, the URL, freshbooks.com slash back to work. Go check them out. Thank you, FreshBooks. Bok, bok. Bok, bok. Uh, you should put the uh, <clears throat> put some links in the uh, show notes for The Aviator, oh. and what's the name of the book that it's based on? Uh, Howard Hughes' Life and Madness. Life and Madness. Yeah. yeah, I'll put that in there. I've added a few things here. I want to uh, briefly uh, promote a few things that uh, that I'm involved with. Um, I think for is it, is it the FEC? Is that what it is? Isn't there some? You're supposed to say when you're sponsored. Did you know about this on Twitter? You know about this on Twitter? Like, there's a reason. Like, you're supposed to say if something's like a promoted toot or something like that. Do you know about this? No. Like, like if if I was tweeting about fresh books, I would have to say it was. Well, I guess I just saw a link about this, a news article about this. And I, there's this whole like world of, you know, like when people say like uh, retweets are not endorsements, like I've never understood why people do that. Like, well, I assume they're, I mean, like, well, you know, what, what, what does that even mean? But like, I guess there's a whole thing about in the, is it the FEC? I don't know. FTC, what... FTC, FTC. Okay. Uh, where you're like, you're supposed to, ads are supposed to be labeled as ads. I don't know. It's very confusing to me. Do you know anything about this? I know nothing about it. Okay, I'm going to learn about this. Okay, well, these are ads. <laughs> no, I'm not paid to do this, but these are things. Well, I kind of am paid to do these things. This is so confusing. Um, I want to talk about three podcast uh, things. Uh, one of them is that uh, one that went out today that I really enjoyed. Uh, a fellow named Steve Thomas had me on his podcast, Circulating Ideas. And it's a library podcast for library people and people who love libraries. And so we talked about libraries and how much I love libraries and uh, what libraries mean in the community. And... Uh, various things around that. That is in show notes. Uh, thank you very much to Steve for having me on. It was very fun to do. Uh, a little bit of a quick visit from Library Elf in that one. Oh, good. Uh, also <laughs> in show notes, uh, hello. <laughs> also in show notes, uh, the episode of uh, Slate, Slate Political Gabfest uh, here in San Francisco has gone up. Uh, it's uh, three people, uh, three very smart people talking about politics, plus me talking about Adventure Time. Um, they were completely perplexed. I don't think any of the three people on the show knew anything about Adventure Time. It, it was appalling. That's the, weird. The, uh, how how did up. you keep yourself going on that? Uh, checked out my Enchiridion. No, I, you know, uh, I just, I, the, the, you know, I was supposed, to, I knew I was supposed to like recommend something or like have some some clever talk, and so I recommended that podcast that I like a lot. 
uh, conversation parade. And uh, no, but it was pretty weird. It's they're they're smart, they're learned people, but they didn't know they didn't know the first thing about Adventure Time, or they were acting like they didn't. They're political people, so they're a little slippery. But uh, that's pretty good. That didn't go as badly as I thought at the time. So that's something you could listen to. And then finally, um, this week, this Thursday, a couple days from now, uh, the final episode from season one of Reconcilable Differences with uh, John Syracuse and me goes up. Uh, and I'd love for y'all to listen to that. It's been so fun to do. Um, two hours, 55 minutes, 32 seconds. We've got a three-hour podcast going up on Thursday. Wow, that's a big one. Yep. Talking about lots of good stuff, faith and music and stuff. It's really good. Love that show. So uh, that's my that's my third and final um, promotion. Hope the FTC is cool with that. Pound, pound sign promotion. <laughs> Reconcilable differences. It's a good name. Uh, yeah. yeah. You got anything you'd like to uh, tell people about? Uh, I mean, I will soon. For now, I think... <laughs> I, I don't want you know, because I've made the mistake of talking about something before. Well, why did you even talk about how you can't talk about I'm it? I'm in the home stretch. It's all I think about eight hours a day. Eight okay. hours a day. I'm going to start writing these down. Do it. And then I'm going to figure out what it is you were talking about later. Because you, you've done this for years and I often can't figure out what it is that you put out that you've been working on. Hmm. It's very it's very confusing to me. I know it's just because my mental uh, file keeping gets behind. But so you, you have something... So you're telling people you can't talk about it. There's something I'm coming out. I'm talking about next it. I just while. don't want to talk about it in a promotional way. No, yet. When's it listen to out? go listen to Roadwork. It's a cool show I do with uh, with John Roderick. Is it a podcast, Dan? No, you're doing something new. It's not a podcast. You can't talk about it. I don't. I can talk about it. I just don't want uh-huh. to build up uh-huh. people's anticipation before I'm ready. Is, is it an electric car? No, but I uh, I did install uh, Watch OS two, and so Is now it? I have a picture of my kids on my phone. Yeah, that's a weird looking face. That's a strange face. <laughs> no, no, not your kid. No, <laughs> gosh, no complications. <laughs> oh yeah, your, your kid looks like a freak. Yeah. No. Um, but uh, there, aren't uh, that, there aren't that many third party complications yet. I've seen two. What? Which two? I've seen. Uh, I've seen. OmniFocus, OmniFocus, and then, and then the, the uh, Dark Skies. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm, yep. I thought there'd be more. No. Nope. Uh, so it's not a podcast. It's not. An, it's probably. It's not. Are you saying it's not an automobile at all that you're putting out? No, no automobile. Right. Is it a snack food? No, 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 no. Is it a thought technology? No. Okay. This is great. This is actually narrowing it down. Yeah. Is it a? Is it a professional or semi-professional sports team? I wish. Can we talk about uh can we talk about ad blocking? Yeah. I'm gonna get this. Oh, is it an ad blocker? No. All right. I got other stuff too. But anyway, so and when, when are you gonna put that out? Uh at this rate within the next few couple weeks. Within the next couple weeks, yeah. everybody. Yeah, so yeah. if you don't don't hold mm. off on buying an electric guitar or a snack, because <laughs> no, that's not what it's it is. It's not a snack. I'll bet it's gonna be a snack and you're gonna yes. get me. It it's is one of kind of hummus. It's, well, I don't eat that. I don't care. It doesn't mean you can't put it out. Mm. You think Elon Musk drives? Probably not. Mm. Hmm. Mm. Uh, sure, we can talk about ad blocking. I also got a follow-up on San Francisco Talk, uh, your new mouse. Well, and, I didn't get uh, the mouse. It's your mouse. Well, what you, what'd you send me a picture of? I was in... Did you sent me a picture of a thing in a store? Yeah, I was in the Office Max or Office <laughs> Depot or whatever. <laughs> okay. 
I was just asking if that was the one because I wanted to, oh. you know, if I'm going to do a laying on of the hands as a cleric does, uh, I want to, I, and then I know I'm going to have to sanitize after. I don't want to touch the wrong one. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm only going to touch a mouse if I know that it's the one you want me to try out. Oh, in the st- oh, of course. You, you touching a mouse in a store, well, you'd need paddles for that. Well, I, but that was the thing is that I'm not, you know, so I wanted to try out the right one, the one that you keep talking and talking about. Talking and talking, really? Yeah. Is it a mouse? Are you putting on a mouse? No. This is not the, a snack food. It's not an electric car. It's not an ad blocker. No. It's not a podcast. No. It's an app. It's okay. not. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can talk about ad blocking. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, if you want to, I'd be happy to talk about it. I think it's super complicated. Well, there are parts of it that are very complicated, and then there are parts of it that's, that, that seem obvious. And, you know, it's very, first of all, I will say that, that the, the slow and maybe not so slow destruction of web advertising that we're, we're witnessing, I think, kind of, would you say we're in the beginning or are we at the end of it? I can't tell. But I feel like this is a very, very interesting period of time to watch what happens. But the 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 breakdown of something that's been so predominant for so long has come to a head. All of the factors I think that are important to the potential dismantling of this are they're all here right now. You know, we're just like in in the '60s, certain things happened all at once. We're witnessing things happening all at once that are creating this very interesting situation. And, Hmm. uh, you know, part of it is, I think, in related to podcasting as well, because although you can skip ads in podcasts and you can skip ads pretty easily in podcasts, the, you know, the, the worse things get for web advertising, the better I think they could potentially get for podcast advertising. And it's funny to me because ad blocking takes on such a a big big discussion for everybody but people have almost always been able to and have skipped through like podcasting ads if you think about it we just did a spot people you know who maybe have heard the spot before wanted to skip over it that's fine or maybe people who are already like subscribers of fresh books don't need to hear it again that's fine people who just don't care might also skip through it and there's not really that much that we can do about that but the difference is we don't really have a way to know, did someone skip through it or not? Did they listen to it or not? Did they listen to it and not care? Whereas on the web, you can absolutely make that connection between whether ads are getting blocked or not based on how many impressions are being displayed of a banner or of a flash ad or whatever it is compared to the actual number of visits that are being recorded to that page. So you can you can pretty easily tell with those kinds of metrics that we have for tracking you know, displays of a web page, we can tell how many people are blocking. And there was a really interesting statement. I think it was an article by the all talking about how I think 70 or 80% of their revenue came from those kinds of ads and places like the Verge and Fox have been built around the existence of those ads and serving those kinds of ads. So it's very important, I think, for people who are creating that kind of content. And you've got a very interesting situation where people uh, who are really, they really enjoy the web. They enjoy reading the latest article about the uh, weight and battery life of the iPhone 6S that's about to come out. They want to read that article, and there are people who have to go to work in a building and get healthcare and sit down in front of a computer that someone paid for and write an article and 
drink coffee and those people need to make a living. And that living comes from the fact that we as visitors to the site are seeing those ads. So if you block those ads and those people run out of money and you say, well, so what? It's like a big corporate enterprise. And what about the independent people, the people who use the deck and other things like that? If, if you're blocking the deck ads, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, well, the deck, that's different because they're not creepy. They don't track you. They're not tracking your behavior. They're not taking over your entire mobile experience with a popover ad that you can't dismiss. You know, they're being minimal. So they're okay, right? Well, I think a lot of people would say, yeah, the deck is okay. But, you know, advertising as a whole has become so intrusive on the experience of trying to read something. You know, when you watch TV, if you watch TV on Hulu or Netflix or something that uh, doesn't have any ads at all, you get very comfortable, I think, with the idea of not having to have some kind of intrusion from a third party in the content, especially if you're paying directly for the content. If I want to go and watch House of Cards, I'm paying for Netflix and that money has paid for this show and that's being brought to me without commercial interruptions. So I'm happy with that. I get the relationship there. But that that answer doesn't work very well on the web. Paywalls, generally speaking, don't work very well on the web. We've seen it fail multiple times and people feel angry toward paywalls on the web. So what's the answer? Where are people supposed to to make money on the web? Does it mean that industry is going away? And also, as an adjunct question, why aren't podcasters more upset by the fact that every single podcast app and client out there has that little skip forward 30 seconds button, which is clearly designed to skip over ads? There's no, anybody who thinks, no, that's to skip 30 seconds over a boring part. Yeah, it is. The boring part is the ad that you don't want to listen to. Why aren't people more upset about that? I'm not upset about it, but why aren't the same people who are saying ad blocking is uh, is horrible also saying that that's not horrible and vice versa? So anyway, I that's my statement. You covered a lot of ground there. I, I mean, I have a lot more, but I have to, you know. Well, okay. In your estimation or your... As you look at this, you say, you know, is this the is this the end of this thing? Yeah. What is it you think that this is the end of? Uh, or what do you, what is it you're wondering whether this is the end of? I'm wondering whether this is the end of content being funded by ads as it has been over the last five to ten years on the web. In other words, banner ads, popover ads, ads that take over the entire experience that you have to dismiss. And and the more insidious and creepy side of it, which is not just ads that you have to look at, but trackers that are through ads and other means following you around the web and saying, oh, this human being read an article on this website and then went to this website and did this thing and then went over here and did this and then tweeted about this article that they read and then tracking that information and in as much as they can possibly identify you, identifying you as, a, as an actual individual person. Uh, that thing, I think we're, we're seeing that become that's, that's, Hang on, that's, that's not one... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be Socrates here, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out... Because I, I think it's an interesting time. I think lots of stuff is screwy. I think lots of stuff is changing. I think lots of stuff that we've all known for a long time is finally coming, becoming a conversation we can have. What I'm trying to figure out here is... What is it? What is it specifically? You think some something has happened in the last few weeks that's going to lead to what happening? Well, the thing that happened in the last few weeks, or more recently than that, is with iOS nine coming out. 
Right. Well, okay. So I'm sorry. I'm 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 not trying to be evasive. No, I, 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 I know. Lots of stuff you. about ad blocking and the cruft of web pages has come out. Lots of stuff about dissatisfaction about advertising. There's lots of stuff that comes out. Yeah. What, uh, the reason what I'm trying to get to is so what is it that's ending? What's ending is people putting up with. Uh, ads that they think are invasive, putting up with tracking that they think is invasive. Yeah. Uh, with well, okay, okay. Hang on, these are all very different. Okay. Or, are we talking about publishers saying, "Hey, there's no money in this"? Are we saying about advertisers are not going to buy those anymore? Trackers are not going to be run anymore? W- what is it specifically, to the extent you think you can say, what is it that you think is maybe coming to an end? Okay. Because because I think all those things, a lot of those things have always been around. Um and. <laughs> I mean, here's one reality. One reality that people don't talk about that much is that people have been running ad blockers for years of one kind or another. I mean, in, ter- in, in terms of web pages. And there have been articles, I mean, not to equate uh, advertising and spam, but there, those are both things that certain people find to be intolerable nuisances to the point of being dangerous. Mm. That's always been true. And some people don't mind spam. And so they, they but there were, there, I remember there being a lot of articles or a handful of articles as, maybe 10 years ago, about writing about these two worlds that people live in. There's the world of these people over here on Windows with spyware and spam and viruses and da-da-da-da and all these people who don't know how to even like, you know, even know that that stuff is there, let alone how to get rid of it. And then there's all these people over here who are living in a clean room and able to create the environment that they want. Maybe they want certain ads, maybe they don't, but they A, are aware that that stuff exists and B, have the technology and ability to filter or block whatever it is that they want and nobody can stop them. Mm -hmm. And then so there was always a question of a a new kind of digital divide being there that there are these people the kind of people who will watch Hulu for free and just sit through like 50 Geico ads or, or, or whatever. Or, <laughs> yeah. or the kind of people who don't know that they're, the reason their computer is running slow is because it's a zombie. Yeah. Um, and, but they somehow manage to keep doing whatever it is they do on it. Um, so I, the reason I, I'm not trying to uh, provoke you, but I think people are, a lot of people, it's a very, it's a very, it's a topic that people have strong opinions about. And because it is going to affect a lot of people's, it's going to, let's put it this way. It's going to affect the way that a, there's a lot of money that may or may not change hands in the future based on this. And that's why a lot of people care. One thing people aren't talking about also, though, is that the advertisers, sure, they'd like to have lots of views. But if their ad's not being served, they're not paying for that ad. True. So, is it the are the advertisers going to stop running because of that? I doubt it. Right. I, I, I think they'll they'll probably be happy that their budget's a little lower. Uh, are people going to stop publishing because the ads aren't being viewed and consequently they're not getting money? I don't know. I think that's an interesting question. I, I think there's just, I guess what I'm, if I'm saying anything here, it's that this is about so many more things mm-hmm. and so many more complicated things than as simple as saying, are you, are you bad because you run an ad blocker? Like, wow, there's so <laughs> much to this conversation that goes beyond something that's happened in the last three weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of industries that have been, whether we're talking about the entertainment industry who suddenly cares a lot about whether the grips get paid or whether you know, there's all these people who like have had a pretty, you know, straightforward, understandable model that, you know, the, the, uh, the model of advertising on the web in um, on web pages has been pretty mature for, you know, at least five, eight years now. Right, right, right. The podcast thing felt stable for a while. I don't know what's going to happen with any of it because I think it is hopelessly complicated not, not, not that, you know, you know, reality will be what it is, but I think it's, we first need to understand how and why this is complicated before we start, you know, throwing our hands up in the air about like what it's the end of. 
um, because there are so many different parties with so many different interests. There are so many people out there that are that are like making a living off of ads, but still running ad blockers, and they just don't want to admit it. They've never wanted to admit it. But you know that's that's okay. But that's the kind of thing we should also talk about. I'm not looking for hypocrisy. I'm not looking for the end of the world. I'm just looking for like let's look at what like what's really happening and what's what's really what the real stakes and consequences are. Because I think there's a very much a downside to nodding this all up into this one issue about the month where everything changed. It's like well, that's a lot of that's kind of coincidental, and a lot of a lot of that stuff that's been happening for a long time. So I don't know. I, 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 this is a, this is something I would like to problematize. I would like yeah. to show that this is more complicated before we try to figure out what's going to happen. Well, let's do that because I think you're right. I think everything you said is very, very important to make that, you know, to discern the differences there. But I feel like it is confusing because it does seem like all of this stuff is happening at the same time. Some of them may be related, right? Some of them may be not as related as we think. I feel like there is this turning point and maybe the big turning point is more people are thinking and talking about these things maybe in a way that we haven't before or maybe in related ways that we haven't before. It's on people's mind, people who aren't really – who I haven't had conversations about this type of thing with before are now talking about it or asking about it or wanting to learn about it or seeing that maybe there are alternatives. I mean at the very base level – iOS 9 comes out, we can have content filters now in Safari, and people are told that one of the benefits of these is that web pages will load faster and the weight of the web pages will be lighter. And there was a big discussion about this on the web a number of weeks ago, uh, iMore and The Verge and a couple other places talking about the weight of web pages and the burden on our computers and our devices loading web pages that are so full of these trackers and these other javascripts yeah. and remotely loaded things guess what you can lighten that load and have pages load more quickly wouldn't you want to do that and so i think for a lot of people that that sounds appealing and there are people who have asked me about it like hey i heard i can block this creepy content like they're coming into it from that standpoint without any knowledge or awareness that behind the scenes doing that, yes, it will improve your experience, but you know, maybe it will also harm in a, in a way and to some small degree, the content creator that you're trying to go to in the first place. That's one of many of these different issues. I don't know which one, which one should we talk about again? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, yes, there, there's, there's a lot to that, but I mean, um, Something I ah uh, uh, why are we talking about this? Uh, okay, uh, I hate controversy. It's so boring. Um, okay, <laughs> let's let's talk about one thing that we have to always put front and center in all of these things, which is the things bad things happening to me are far worse than bad things happening to other people. <laughs> bad things that happen to other people are a terrible tragedy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but a clear and present danger to me is might as well be the end of the world. And I think let's let's just realize that's almost everybody's attitude all the time, whether right. or not they want to admit it. Um, I find it slightly disingenuous that so many publishers are busting such a gut about their beloved advertisers. Um, not everybody, but like for a long time, I always thought it was really strange. Like there aren't that many people who seem proud of their advertisers or proud of the fact that their advertisers supported. If anything, they seem a little bit ashamed about it. And they seem a little bit 
sort of uh, chastened by it. And like, it's like, well, now we got to go do this thing. And, you know, I, I don't have a strong opinion about that one way or another. It's just an observation. What I will say is this. If you've ever taken money from people to hide ads on your site, you really want to be out there busting a gut about how great ads are. I mean, those people bought those ads on your site because they thought it was valuable, presumably. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about a world we've been in for a pretty long time yeah. where, where anonymous run-of-network ads are running in anonymous run-of-network places. And, you know, a certain amount of cash is exchanged and nobody has a problem one way or another. The people who hate the ads block them. Uh, you know, the, the people who are running the site, I mean, are, are they spending a lot of time thinking about it? I'm just saying for a long time, remember that one experiment with this model that a lot of people tried was saying, okay, you can view our site for free. Don't block the ads. But like, if you, if you don't want to see these awful ads that everybody hates, pay us $5 a month. And like, for some reason, that always bugged me. That always struck me wrong. I think I, I might have experimented with that at one point, but it's something about that always felt weird to me because it's like, it, it doesn't take your audience seriously. It doesn't take your advertisers seriously. If I bought an ad somewhere, like with my own money, and found out that it was being hidden so that somebody could collect monies. Like, I would think that's kind of lame. Yeah. It's, it, you know, I mean, I guess part of this is also like, this has suddenly become very passionate for everybody because we all have a stake in one way or another in this. We, we both make our money largely from things that are supported by advertising. Like, yeah. we, we have a dog in this fight. For sure. But, you know, but it's, you know, I, see, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know. I guess I just feel like it's, we, it's, we're so quickly jumping to these really far conclusions about what the future is going to look like when like, well, if we really care what the future looks like, we should have been thinking about the future for a pretty long time. I personally have been pretty curious about this stuff for about the last year. Any of my podcasting friends who've had a call with me in the last year have heard me say, I think this is going away in some ways, or it's going to change drastically. Let's be honest, the demands from a lot of advertisers have gone up in the past. Uh, It's one reason I left my former ad company on, on my old website was that I was seeing more and more demands for things that were clearly advertising to be presented as something that was not clearly advertising. We've seen more demands for things, to, to call it tracking uh, might be a term of art, but to have more metrics on things, to know like where their ad was, where their buy was going. Um, and last year, a lot more, even of our own sponsors, have asked for more information about the number of downloads and stuff like that, or they want ad cuts to hear like what the ad sounded like. That didn't exist five years ago, right? Yeah. Yep. And now that's a thing. So it's something that's affecting everybody. But I mean, you know, it's, we have to, I think we have to be somewhat empathetic about all of this, which is that advertisers don't want to just throw money out a window if you're not taking it seriously. Publishers definitely want to get paid somehow or another. And the audience wants to be taken seriously uh, as somebody who's bringing their attention to whatever that product is. So, I mean, part of me just thinks, can we all just calm down just a little bit for a minute here and talk about this? (laughs) Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. Some of the articles, I'll say this. Uh, some of the articles that I have read on sites that stand to lose a lot of money from advertising being blocked uh, seem like they're going pretty dramatically off the deep end very quickly. Yeah. Where they are, they are essentially panicking. And I feel terrible. I feel terrible for them because this income that was reliable before is now not. But like, Right, know, and it's, reality- a, it's an income that was not only reliable, but that was on the rise as their traffic and I mean, their sites were geared to generate views. They were geared to create something that an audience would want to see and then want to share and in turn create a bigger audience. And that in doing so, 
they would get more page views and those page views would turn around into more views of their ads, which would turn into more money and then more advertising and then, a, you know, competition between them and, and, uh, and another site. All of this has been in place, you know, like you said, for, for many, many years now as this is the way to do it. And I saw an interesting comment. I forget where it was who said it, but they said, uh, you know, so many of these sites that are worried about losing income they're not just websites. They are, in a sense, they're ad agencies as well. And their business is simply, we want to sell ads, so we'll create content to sell those ads on. And that's why they exist. It's not, we want to create content. How can I create content and also make money doing it? Hmm, advertising seems like a way to do that. It's the other way around. How can we sell ads? Oh, we have to make content. Okay. And I think that fundamental uh, let's call it a problem, that fundamental view, I think that's what might have to change in, in all of this is that the people yeah. like 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 you or like many of our friends who are there saying, I want to make some really cool content. I would love to get paid to do that somehow, but I'm going to make this cool thing and maybe it's writing, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's something else. Like I, I, I'm going to do that because, you know, like it turns out maybe I could make a living or part of a living doing this. That's the inspiration, I think, for a lot of people who are out there making really good independent content. I think a lot of these other sites have come around in in a very, I think, normal business kind of a way that says, how can how can we make money? One way to make money is to sell ads on content. Okay, let's do that. And I feel like maybe that's the thing that 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 might be changing back to your original question. Maybe that mentality of it's easy, just generate a lot of content and get a lot of viewers to view that content and you will make money. Maybe that model of, of the Internet is is sick and starting to die. Maybe. Yeah, and and well, I, that, that's a little dramatic, but that, that is, <laughs> but it's at the very least going to change a lot. The yeah. thing is, people have already been addressing this for a pretty long time. So you know, if you think about the way that, um, I don't know. I mean, there's there's always this tendency, and there's probably a, a name, a cognitive bias for this, but there's always this tendency to act like something important just happened that'll change everything. Mm. It's like, well, something maybe happened. It might be important. It'll change something, and. It, might be something but like does all that stuff have to be true for this to be a conversation that we have Mm -hmm. well the fact is people have been experimenting with tv advertising since the very beginning they've been experimenting with tv advertising since it was radio advertising right this is not anything new no advertiser has ever said i'm thoroughly satisfied please take more of my money no publisher has ever been i'm thoroughly satisfied don't give me any more money everybody's always wanted to be steady everybody's always wanted to be more everybody's always wanted to be more effective or less annoying or whatever their particular point of view is so you know and we've seen this a lot in the in, since the age of I guess what I'll say the YouTube age and since cable cutting has become a thing in the last 15 years uh, e- even just a little bit you see more more people trying different things with different audiences but again it's not one thing it's very difficult to reach like a 15 year old kid with a TV ad these days so what do you because think- they're not watching they're not watching TV they're Maybe they may be watching YouTube. YouTube. They may be playing video games. So I mean you know we in, in addition to updating our our thinking about what the solutions to these problems are, we have to really first update our thinking about what the actual situation is. 
And if there are things that, that some of us just, and to be honest, some of us just fell ass backwards into some lucky times, that doesn't mean that the world is falling apart. It means that the world is changing. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> but I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that's changed that you have to deal with. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's called life. What do it's, you think is like the most effective kind of advertising in any, in any media at all? Like what, to, what works to you in your mind? What works? I think that varies hugely by, by medium and by audience. But I mean, I would have to imagine every September, uh, all the major fashion magazines put out, you know, their, the biggest monthly issue they'll, they'll put out all year. So in the case of Vogue, that I think at this point is something like 700 pages long. The vast, vast, vast majority of those pages are advertising. Um, so that must work for somebody on some level for some reason. Like, did somebody buy this Fondy bag because they saw it on this ad on this page? We don't know. Did somebody buy this perfume two years after they smelled this swatch mm -hmm. inside this L magazine? We don't know. What I'm trying to say is, and I'm being, I'm deliberately being a little bit slippery here because there are different kinds of advertising for different kinds of things. When Coca-Cola uh, buys a big ass sticker to put on a NASCAR, mm -hmm. that's different from the meeting they have about whose names go on the can. Uh, at the Walgreens, that's very different from what kind of billboard we're going to put up at this park. They're all for different reasons. So, like, I guess when when they're when they're, I think advertising ends up being effective when it's a good fit for all three of the major parties. It's a good fit for the person who's advertising. It's a good fit for the publisher or broadcaster or whomever the you know, and then it's a good fit for whoever is consuming that ad. So. I mean, like, I don't know, and I'm trying to think of two, some non-specific examples, but I mean, if you listen to something like 99% Invisible, uh, a podcast I really like a lot, uh, they do their ads at the end of the show, and Roman Mars happens to be one of the best ad readers I've ever heard of all time, mm -hmm. ever, ever. Very memorable, and he personalizes it. So now, would that work if that was like U.S. Steel running that ad? <laughs> Probably not. Would that work if it was the kind of person who blows through 60 podcasts a week about news headlines and skips everything and listens at triple speed? No, probably not. But that iron troika comes together because, you know, uh, somebody like uh, Tiny Letter is a great advertiser for 99% Invisible, where people will, will stay to listen to the ads at the end because they really like them. Roman Mars is great at it. And the listeners go, oh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting thing. So anyway, that, that's always just a snapshot in time. But I think it does always, if you're, if you're ever trying to do the mental arithmetic on whether uh, advertising is working, it does help to look at all three of those parties and if it works for all of them. Does that make sense? No, it really does. It really does. I think that's a good kind of perspective to frame it all in because it does. We can, we can, we can drill down more on that. I mean, there, I've, seen some, I've seen some terrible ads on buses and some very funny ads on buses, some very memorable ads on buses. And it's just a part of it is like, well, if it's a thing that might be about a medical service in the East Bay and the main call to action is an 800 number, something about that, I see that and that I automatically go like, that's not for me. Whereas if it's a movie poster that's hanging in the, in the train station, right. I might go and like actually go and read it and stuff. So, I mean, it all just varies so much. Steve, I think that there are certain kinds of advertisements that are so clearly ads that we've learned to completely ignore them. And one of those for me are banner ads. Anybody who's getting banner ads, who's buying them, like, I mean, I'm sure they work. I mean, I know some people click on them, but most people have just become completely blind to them. 
you know most people have become so numb to the the idea of any kind of banner ad whether it's a little you know deck style ad or a big one or something that pops over like I, I, You're talking about most display ads in general on yeah, web pages. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the kind that come up and take over the whole, I don't even look at those when those happen. Like I'm not, I'm not going to the fact that it's just larger and completely obscures the website. So often I'll just leave. I won't even read the website. So they've completely lost me as a viewer. And I think that's normal. It just, it's, you know, you see a commercial during a TV show and I'll, I watch, you know, the main thing, and we've talked about this, the main thing that I'll watch regular TV for is sports. And there are a lot of commercials in there, especially with the NFL. It's timed around those commercials. And I do watch them. I don't watch them the way that I pay attention to the game, but they're on and my eyes may be still looking at the screen instead of my second screen during the commercial, right? That's what the second screen is for. But, you know, I'm not paying attention to them but I don't mind them. The reason that I don't mind them and the reason why I, I'm not upset about these terrible ads interrupting my game is because I know that the game is – that I'm able to watch the game because of those ads. Now, if, You're actually thinking – you're thinking about that while yes, you're watching the commercial? Yes. Uh, I don't. And I'm not, I'm not thinking I owe it to the NFL to watch this ad that they're showing me. Not at all. But I'm – no, but I'm also not upset by the fact that there is a, there is an advertisement happening in the midst of the game. I understand that that's how I'm able to watch the game is that it, they're going to put this ad up there and I'm all right with that. And if there was a way for me to pay to make that go away, I would definitely do that. But we all know that that doesn't work. So, you know, I, I deal with it and it's not a big deal. I, I'm okay making that trade you know and does the cable company report that my cable box if i'm using it instead of the over the air thing that my cable box was on that channel and that i watched that ad i don't care what if they tie it to me what if they know that i saw that budweiser ad well that's fine i'm never gonna buy budweiser so it doesn't matter but you know if they want to track that way like that's all right all of these things are okay because i don't have to pay to watch the eagles game so that's all right but on the web I feel like there's a different a different mentality. There's a different attitude around it. And there's this strong feeling of resentment and not just let's let's take as as you suggested, let's take the whole creepy tracking stuff out of it for a second. Let's just talk about the ads themselves. You know, it, it's a frustrating situation because we all want that really good content. I want that really good review of that cool new gadget that came out that's going to help me decide whether it's the thing that will change my life forever and I should buy it or not. And the people that I trust are going to get it and write a review for me and tell me if I should go and get this thing that's going to change my life forever. I want that. I want that content. But the fact is, is that I'm probably not willing to pay for it. I probably wouldn't spend a dollar to read the latest review of the iPhone 6 unless I was really, really not sure about whether or not to get it. I, I'm probably not going to spend money to do that. And those sites and those people would have to go find different jobs, right? Because right. I'm not willing to do it. And if I'm not willing to do it, and I find that generally I am more willing to spend money on that kind of thing than most of the non-geeks that I know, it would be really tough for us to get that really good content that we want. But at the same time, the first opportunity we have to block those ads, I'm not saying everyone does this, but I'm saying a lot of people are now given this opportunity to block the ads. So heck, they're going to block them. They're going to block them. Yeah. You know? 
And, you know, if it, the TiVo came out and it let people skip through commercials and that was an, an interesting thing and most people did that. And we have a really, really different uh, different mentality now than we used to. There, Every time, here's the story, here's how it goes. And I think you've said it, I know a lot of other people have said it is, man, I I went and visited my aunt, uncle, cousin, whoever over the weekend and uh, man, they they haven't cut the cord and I just watched cable uh, for over the weekend. And man, I can't believe how many commercials there are during these shows. And I don't understand why they, they're not even protecting their kids from these terrible commercials. And we haven't seen ads on TV in forever. Uh, I've said that. <laughs> I think you've said that. I know so many people that have said that. I just don't watch regular TV and it's awful. Uh, that's kind of the experience I think people have when they are at a computer that's not ad blocking or not ad blocking in the way that they that they are. It's so intrusive. What do we do about that? Does Shouldn't that change? Why should we uh, tolerate that? Well, it's because we want our content. How can you not complain about ads during the NFL but complain about them when this giant thing expands over the entire website that you're trying to read? I don't know. But it's weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it all... It all. It all depends. It all depends, depends, depends. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, there is this human impulse and like, you know, forgive me for wanting to always make things more complicated than they seem. The reason I do that is because I think generally things are more complicated than they seem. People, if, it strikes me sometimes that people are looking to, first of all, leap onto a very strong feeling that they have. Whether that's the greatest feeling to follow or not, whatever, let's start with our emotions. Great, that's always a great place to start. Yeah. So you start with your emotions, and then what's the first thing you do? You try to start drawing. You have a gerrymandered district of ethics that you create that exactly fits what you can defend about yourself. And so people start out, and they love to go out and just go find everybody who's a bad guy because they're doing, I'm doing this the right way, you're doing this the wrong way, I'm, I'm the white knight on a horse, and you're the terrible person. And so, you know what I mean by the idea of gerrymandering? Gerrymandering is when, if you want to go in, you're in a position of power in a certain area, you can go in and manually slice up the voting districts to be able to consolidate the people who will vote for you into, one, into, into the right area so that you could get your voting block uh, into the right place. And I think people do that with behavior in life too, which is they will try and, you know, <laughs> it's not, not like we're all sitting up here like stoic philosopher kings. Uh, we will try to come up with all these things where this is okay and this is not okay and this is okay and this is not okay. And then get all mad that everybody disagrees. So you start with that big emotion, you start drawing lines, and then you start throwing punches. And so we want to go out and find all the hip hypocrites and find all the people who are doing stuff wrong and are doing stuff impartially and are not the white knights that we are. And like, that just never ends well. And I, you know, having been on the internet in some form or fashion for 22 years now, it's just amazing to me to watch that cycle from 36 hours to three years. You will see these cycles repeated over and over and over. And then eventually it becomes whatever it becomes. And, but, and lots of people get bruised and broken along the way. So I think there's this tendency to, to try and like frame everybody else as being a bad guy because they don't do it exactly like the way that you do. Or, I'm sorry, I'm talking about something else now. It's just, it's hard for me to separate that because like, are you, you're, you're telling me that you're out there and you run this site where you got lucky enough to get a job where you write for a living and you get close enough to a living wage. You've never downloaded a movie. You've never blocked an ad. You've never done anything unsavory right. like that. Right. Everybody has. Yeah. Like, let's stop acting like everybody's perfect. 
And like, because I think we're not going to get to any kind of a sane discussion of this until we get past all these emotions about who's doing it wrong. So every time I see another one of these articles talking about how like you're literally stealing from me if, if, you, if you block this ad on your iPad, it's like, okay, well then like, what's the next stage of that conversation after that? As I come and apologize to you and then we have a sane conversation? It's just people get so emotional about this stuff. And, it, you know, I understand. It's a, it's a big deal and it's happening fast. But let's look at what everybody wants out of life. What people want out of life is for things to go their way and not change. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we want. So, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a job writing, and guess what? If you have a job writing, you're fortunate. So suck that up. Right. Or if, in my case, as a podcaster, I could not ask for a better job. I'm very fortunate. Every, every day is like a little fragile piece of Dresden uh, China. Like, I, I, I don't know when this is going to break. It probably already is breaking. It's probably already falling to the floor. Right. <laughs> but all I can tell you is that, you know, that it's, it's, I think what happens is, is you scrap at something for a while. Let's say you're somebody like a you or a David Sparks. You got a day job. You're writing or podcasting or making movies or whatever in your free time. Maybe like a, like a Mike and Steven kind of characters. But, you know, a lot of people we know have done this where they had the job they had to have. And you know what they did? Most of us, let's be honest, we kind of phoned it in on the job a little bit while we were working on the new thing. Right. You've never done that. Nobody out there's ever done that. You've always delivered your 40 plus hours a week, 100%. You've never checked personal email at work. Well, let's already start there. You're already a hypocrite. Grow up. So there's that. So we all start and we go doing our own thing. And at first, there's no money in it. There's the opposite of money in it. It costs money to do. You have to buy things. You don't make any. And you know what? Eventually, a day comes along and maybe you make a little bit of money from something. And then that little bit of money, maybe it becomes even a slightly dependable little bit of money. And you're making $11 a month from those Amazon affiliate links you keep making. Right. Okay, great. Now you're making $11 a month and it's dependable. And that's great. Fast, fast forward a little bit. You start making enough that it's almost a job and it's dependable enough that you don't have to, you don't have to make a hundred calls to get one ad. You know, you don't have to have 500 articles to get that $11 in affiliate. What I'm trying to say is everybody, everybody who's mad now that is in the, and understandably, understandably relax everybody, but you get to that point because a couple things happened because it became not exceedingly difficult to do. And it became extremely dependable. And people don't like it when something becomes less easy to do or when it becomes less dependable. Mm-hmm. And we all get understandably very defensive when that happens. That's when you get the whole you're taking bread off my kid's plate thing is what, what we're often saying a lot of times, you know, is that it's now going to get less difficult and less dependable. So, I mean, to me, that's why, you know... I guess we can have this whole other conversation about stuff like the ad, the trackers and stuff like that. Just the awful, awful stuff some of those trackers do. I went, I went to actually a former advertiser of this show. I went and bought their product, bought their product on their website, and I've seen almost nothing but their banner ads now for like two weeks. Right. Which is so creepy because it's about underwear. I get, I get underwear for the <laughs> underwear I already bought. Right. And it's like, Actually, speaking of which, please tell me, we're going to run out of time here. Would you please tell me about one of our uh, vaunted sponsors? I would tell you about Pond5. Speaking of making content online, these guys uh, do a really, really great job of making that so much easier. If you're producing content online, they are a wonderful creative resource. Pond5, they have video clips, they have motion graphics, they have music, they have sound effects, all of this really, really great media. So if you're building a website, I suppose if you're building an app, you could use it there too. But if you wanted to create something online, 
these guys are a wonderful resource for that kind of thing. Think of it as like stock footage, but not just footage. It's music, it's sound effects, it's motion graphics, it's all of this stuff. And here's the really, really cool part about it. All of the content on Pond5 is made by independent artists, and they have one of the highest payouts in the industry. So not only are you going to find the highest quality and the most diverse content, you're going to get a royalty-free license. You can use that media wherever and whenever you need it, and you're going to be supporting independent creators who get like 50% of the sale. It's huge, and it's really, really great, and you're going to be amazed at the really awesome, awesome content that's out there on Pond5. So the URL to go to is Pond and the number 5, so Pond5.com, and the code to use is Back to Work. You're going to get 25% off your next purchase. It's super cool one-stop shop for all your creative media. Go check them out. Pond5.com. Code to use for your 25% off is back to work. Thanks very much to Pond5 for making the show possible. Thank you, Easter Bunny. Hawk, hawk. You don't get that on any other show. The sound effect? It's a literally unique value proposition. <laughs> yeah. So we started off here talking about this very hot topic of, uh, of ads. Welcome blocking. back to the show. And in case you're just joining us, it was a very good little wrap-up. Hi, welcome back. Today we're talking about ad blocking and how it will represent the end of literally everything. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just, you know, boy, for me, it always comes back to these same things. It's what makes it impossible for me to have conversations on the internet because I'm like, ah, I do not agree to the argument as stated. The argument as stated is dumb. The argument as stated is too simple. It is so much more complicated than this. It's just, I find it so difficult to watch people just blindly swinging at the, in the dark at other people and, you know, and acting like it's the Crusades or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, it, it sucks and things change and like that happens. But like, how do we have a sane conversation about this when everybody's got their hot take coming out every day about what this means the end of for everybody? I just, I, I, I just feel the need to reject that out of hand. Yeah. No, I hear when, that. When something as pre- is presented as, here's something that's as simple to understand as it's causing the end of everything. It's like, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that this, this makes me think of all kinds of other things. Like I've never completely, I'm trying to avoid saying this because I don't want to sound like I'm talking about somebody like, like a site I really like, like I'm more, I love everything that I read on I'm more. And I love the people who work there. I'm extremely fond of those people. And I understand that there's a nut. Like, you've got to make money to, to, to mm-hmm. pay those people. I understood that when it was Macworld. I mean, but, you know, I guess I just, I never, I feel like I, I don't know enough about the realities of team publishing today to speak intelligently about it. Because my gut is there's a reason everybody's scared. Like, if if Om Malik's site, like, can't stay going. Right, you know, what does it's that like, say? What, what is that exactly? But then again, you hear about stuff like, you know, like Gimlet. Doesn't Gimlet have like 12 employees or something? I don't know. They do, you know, Reply All and they do all the, all the great shows. Yeah. But don't they, they have offices in Brooklyn and like over a dozen employees? It's like, how can you do that? Putting out 20-minute podcasts about the internet. It's just, it's ponderous to yeah, me. Yeah, it is. The, the infrastructure that some of these people have, where you hear about Gawker and the size of the team at Gawker, and I'm like, it takes that many people to make Gawker? Like, that's, <laughs> that's mind-blowing. I know. So, I mean, you know, so on the one hand, we get emotional because we feel this bread being taken off our plate. Totally understandable. We all feel that way. And uh, if you don't think I'm scared, you haven't listened to this show in a few years because that's pretty much all I talk about, isn't it? Of course I'm scared. It, 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 it is going away. It has been going away. It is difficult. 
I'm just trying to say, like, let's try to be a little bit sane and sensible about this. So, I mean, what can you know, we talk about what's going to change. Right. And, and this is where I would get back to me provoking you uh, half an hour ago mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what is it you're actually talking about. Because I think what people want to say, and please understand, I'm putting up the big brackets here. This is not what I'm saying. This is what I hear other people saying. Ad blockers are going to mean the end of at least independent and probably large-scale corporate publishing because now this model is no longer going to work and people are not going to get paid. You are blocking ads and therefore there's not going to be many websites anymore. There's right. not going to be TV networks or I mean, or do you whatever. think it will go but, that, you know, will it again, go that far? Of course it will. It has to. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't think that at all. What I'm trying to say is like, God, have half a brain and realize that everything's always changing a little bit all the time. Okay, well, what will change? Well, what has changed in the past? Business models change. The size of teams, the level of commitment from, in this case, advertisers. Like that's all constantly readjusting anyway. It's just a question of what that's going to be next. I don't think there's going to be a day where the lights just get flipped off. It's going to change. You know, look at, look at the way Microsoft has grown and contracted over the years. They're still around. Um, I mean, like every, I don't know. I just think it's so rare for things to end in this kind of Wagnerian tragedy that everybody's always trying to like, well, no, just the, the climate will change. Technology changes. For God's sake, you write in technology. Aren't you aware of the fact that technology changes? <laughs> that's, like your, that's like your whole theoretical ad-based bread and butter is that technology is always changing. And then when it does change, you seem suddenly incredibly incredulous and surprised. Right. Well, have you been reading your own 15 articles a day for the last six years? Technology is changing all the time. People's tastes and the culture is changing all the time. I'm sorry. This is not about ad blocking now. I don't know. It's just, oh, God, there's, there's, there's just so many people like, like freaking out all the time about everything. And it's like, <sighs> well, things do. And we're all supposed to, you know, care equally about that. I, I, I care some about the issues and I care tons about how we treat the issues. That in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, I know. Well, I think the, I think the reason that people are so reactive or reacting so much about this is because of that fear, you know, because they're scared and because they're not sure what to change and how to change and because they've built kind of an infrastructure around things being the way that they're being. You know, when Japanese – this is a terrible analogy I'm about to give. When Japanese cars came out and – American car companies failed to really keep pushing the envelope and innovating. The Japanese cars started to do really well, and they were providing an answer for a question that people in America and elsewhere had, which is, I heard about this gas crisis thing. How can I not be as subjected to that? How can I make sure that doesn't happen again? How can I spend less money on gas? What if I don't need a big car? All of these questions that led to the concept of the compact car and the popularity of the compact car and these fuel-efficient cars that mainly came at the time from Japan. And you know what? We we as a country and as automobile manufacturers from this country at that time did not innovate fast enough, but it took a long time for that thing to happen. And if people back then had not had that sort of stubborn, well, we're not going to change anything because we know what we're doing, you know, if they had had the attitude of, well, wait a minute. These other car companies are onto something here. And you know what? We're going to we're going to start coming out with cars like this before they really get popular here or as they're getting popular, we'll have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. You know, the companies now I they will pivot, they will adapt, right? But how? What what is the answer? And I think that the answer isn't clear and I don't think that they know. And if you were to tell these companies, whether it's the all or or some of the other companies out there, that we've been talking about, if you were to tell them, 
70 to 80% of your revenue could potentially end within the next, not year, but months. What are you going to do? These companies, if, you know, if they have money that they're trying to burn through, are burning through it pretty quick. They've got big offices in big cities. They're paying a lot of rent. They've got a lot of employees. You know, they might not be able to weather a month or two or or three with sure. 80% reduced revenue. And so I think I think they're worried because they look at the books and they look at 70% less revenue and they think, you know what? That's the door closing for them. It's, you know, that that's the end. Like they don't have recourse for that. I don't know. I think it's going to happen fast or they're worried it's going to happen fast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's why I have no trouble at all understanding an impulse that I have about 14 times a day, which is I'm worried that everything's going away and will be terrible. Like I, I think about that all the time. That's basically my constant, that's my Welsh troll. That's my constant companion is that kind of thought is that everything's is a, a kind of catastrophizing thinking. So I'm pretty, pretty comfortable and familiar with that. I'm just trying, I'm in my head, I'm trying to separate uh, everybody kind of trying to turn themselves into the starving African child of this situation uh. <laughs> where like uh, they want to find the most incendiary thing that can make them like the victim of this, of this giant problem that could be solved if everybody else did the right thing. And boy, I'll just tell you, man, my blinkers go off. As soon as we start getting into the starving African child phase of an argument, that's when I tend to start going, well, I'm going to go, go to another room. Like this is, <laughs> we're, we're, now, we're now having a different kind of conversation. And the thing is, the conversation we're not having is about the conversation. The conversation about the conversation to me should be, okay, well, so, you know, you've presented this argument as if you block ads on this site, we're going to have to shut down and no one's going to be here anymore. And importantly, it will be your fault. And I find that to be an argument that I would want to I would want to spend a little time on and 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 talk about all the <laughs> all the exact details of, of how it worked out that way because I don't think it's as simple as that. I just feel oh god, this is so boring. But it's not boring. It's fascinating. Well, but it's I mean, what 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 can I say? I uh, you and I do shows where people advertise on it, and that's mostly worked out. Like, is it going to be that way forever? I don't know. We have some people who advertise for a while and then they don't advertise. Or some people who will never advertise. And then, you know, listeners come and go. It's all in just such a constant state of flux. I found that the one thing I am least likely to do on a good day is to start freaking out and getting emotional because something changed. Well, things are changing all the time. You just need to be open to the fact, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or a happy thing or a sad thing, Maybe start thinking about the fact that it's it's all a little bit shaky to begin with, and is and is and is likely to change at some point in the future. We don't know what it'll turn into. We don't know if it'll turn into anything that's going to be as good or as sustainable. But we can be damn sure that it's going to be different from what it is now. And if if you can't find some level of comfort in that, even at my own level of uncomfort with that, this might not be the game for you because this is <laughs> this is what it is. This is this. So I, I don't know. I guess I just, it, it hurts my heart to see people turning, trying to turn everybody else into the villain right. instead of, you know, we've all benefited. We've, you know, even just as a consumer, if you however you want to call it, or a reader or a listener, you know, damn it, man, you've benefited from all this free stuff where all you have to do is listen to ads or skip ads. You benefited from that. You, you people out there who type on a Mac all day long, even if you type 16 hours a day on a Mac, you're so goddamn lucky to have that job versus other kinds of jobs that you could have. People have quit jobs to go have that job. You've been very fortunate to have that economy around. 
And the thing is, none of us like things to change. Change feels scary. Change is weird. Change hurts. And change sometimes affects our wallet in a way that can be extremely uncomfortable. So I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer for this, but like, I don't see how we can have this supposed conversation about what the technology means until we acknowledge that the conversation we re- we're really having is, is about yelling at each other. So I don't know. And then, I mean, I guess we, we could talk more. I would be happy to talk a little bit about the stuff, in my case, that I, that I like or don't like or I'm into or not into or the stuff that I would just see, soon see die in a fire. Because I, I have those things. I'm not made of stone. <laughs> Tell me about something you like. I, I, have a, I, have a hard, I have a hard out in about 20 minutes. All right. It's Got a it. very, my out, is, my out is extremely hard. <laughs> Let me tell you about Harry's. You Harry's. Know, Harry's. Harry's. See, this is a company that uh, that saves you money. And that's what it comes down to, because shaving has gotten very expensive. If you don't, if you don't go and uh, and, and and buy razors in uh, in a grocery store or in like a Target or something, you, where are you going to get them? You can get you can get this amazing experience from Harry's that will not only save you money, like I said, but it will introduce you to a whole really cool shaving experience. They were started, the company was started by two guys, same guys who did Warby Parker, by the way, passionate about creating a better shaving experience for all men. They bought a blade factory in Germany. It was making some of the best blades, the highest quality blades for nearly a century. And they cut out the middleman and they offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of the drugstore brands. They have a starter kit. It's 15 bucks. It includes a razor, three blades, and your choice of either you get the shaving cream or the foam gel. And bonus, $5 off your first purchase if you use the code. And the code for this show, of course, is comics. So you go there, you're going to save 5 bucks off your first purchase. You're going to get a whole month's worth of shaving for just 10 bucks. Shipping is always free. I love the online shopping of this. And I know several women who use these blades and like them. And I, I also want to say this makes a great gift, this little starter kit. And you can even get the thing. You can even get the handle which is a really nice handle. You can even get that engraved. Makes a lovely, uh, lovely gift. So go check this this site out. It's Harry's H A R R Y S Harry's dot com. And once you're there and you're ready to buy your first purchase, get five bucks off using the code Comics. Thanks very much to Harry's for supporting this show, Merlin Man. And Benjamin, I get the, I would get the gel. You like the gel, the foaming gel. It's not a matter of whether I like the gel. I have a strategy here, which is that you can buy inexpensive shaving cream very inexpensively. At the drugstore, it's not locked in the Supermax uh, razor prison. You can just go buy some uh, some foamy or whatever. What I would say is uh, I would try the gel because the, the, the gel, you, there are not that many great gels out there. And, and uh, th- I think it's a good one. And it really is, the, the, the price is pretty bananas. I had to, in an emergency situation, buy some, some fusion blades. <laughs> oh my God. And I did, I had to call the kid over to unlock it. And in our Walgreens, if you, if you get a, a, a locked product, they walk you to the counter. Do you get that? Yeah, they, it's like you're escorted. It's not just me. It's like that's, yeah, they, they have to escort you to the counter to make sure you don't steal their $40 worth of razor blades. It's weird what they kind of deem. Like if I was going to a Walgreens. Yeah, it is weird. You know, like I'm going to grab some of those like lithium batteries. If I was really going to try and get them, I'm not going to like try and steal a, the razor there's blades. Lots, there's lots of toys that they lock up. <laughs> yeah. Like collectible toys, like you know, like, you know, stacks of Pokemon cards or whatever. Right. There's lo- everything in razors is pretty much locked. Um, also, I've noticed more and more weird stuff, like in the food department, like instant coffee. I mean, there there must just be things that are fensible. 
That's that's the only explanation, right? Yeah. It must be that people are reselling it. It's not that, it's not that old people are stealing Nescafe, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. It's a scourge. <laughs> <sighs> you know, <laughs> I think, you know, back to our bigger, bigger topic. I mean, I think it's a difficult problem, but I definitely, you know, whenever people, I get emails all the time from people and then, well, I'm, I'm about to start uh, my own podcast network and we're going to have 18 shows and uh, they'll all be weekly shows with one show that's daily. And we're going to talk about, and the topic will usually be something in the technology space or, or sports. And I just, I feel, you know, I want, people are asking me for it. How, how should I do this? Or how do I get listeners or whatever? And one of the things, you know, we had that really great XOXO meetup, the podcasters meetup. That was so much fun. And it was really fun. A few people asked me that this question there. They're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm starting a network. And I, I said my question to them is usually, why are you starting a network? Why not just start one show and, and make it really, really great? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I said, well, you know, how many, how many you know, downloads do you have of the one show that you have now? And they're like, well, yeah, it could be more. I'm like, you know, th- build that show or build build that show up because a lot of the time you might find that having a network doesn't necessarily um, increase the popularity of these other shows. And I think when you relate this to the web and to to ads and advertising on the web, you know, you look at what Gawker has done by creating that network of websites, you know, Vox and The Verge doing a similar thing. But when I think about successful web properties, usually they're the standalone websites that really that really come to mind. And I think it's harder than ever to launch a new site. You know, I think right now, if I was tasked with launch a new website today, I'm not talking about a service or something that, that people could sign up for and pay and use. I'm talking about like a website that will have content that people will go to read. That just seems to me like an, an incredibly scary thing to do in 2015 Five years ago, it seemed like an incredibly insightful, smart thing to do. But now, you know, people are just so against uh, against the advertising thing. And I do. You think? Do you really think so? I do. I really think so. Or maybe I I'm think per- we notice it. I think we notice it more in our circles because yeah. most of us have long had the ability to do things like. And again, you know, here comes the starving African child. Everybody's always coming out of the woodwork to like when you were just talking about how you like it occurs to you. I'm watching these ads while I'm watching sports, and I'm grateful because it supports it. Like I never think that when I'm watching commercials. Like I, I, I almost always find TV commercials to be very uh, invasive. I find radio commercials to be almost intolerable. Yes, a lot yeah, of the time. I totally um, agree print, about print, the radio. print ads and magazines. Print ads and magazines depends on the magazine, but I tend not to mind them. I mean, in that case, to me, that is part of the thing of of enjoying it. And even on podcasts, some people are terrible at ads. Some people uh, are great at ads, and it and it makes a huge difference to me and like how much I will like tune in and listen and enjoy it. And I don't know. It, it, I think it varies a lot. Um, what was my point? Um, back to advertising. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think you're actually intentionally, unintentionally getting at a very another interesting point. Uh, we talk about all the people wanting to start a new network or a new show or mm-hmm. a new what have you. Well, you know, I think one problem challenge is that there are so many shows, 
And there are so many, in this case, podcasts, or there are so many blogs, and there are so many people who would be more than happy to make $11 a month from Amazon affiliates and feel like it's like a, Amazon associates and feel like it's like a kind of a win. Um, I, I was going to say it's diluting the market. It's not diluting the market, just the market's getting bigger. And that's meaning that there are more options. If you want to advertise somewhere, there are more options. Also, I don't want to get into this too much on this show. The whole introduction of like the podcast middle persons, the, the people who sell ads, for uh, the people who are the, I want to say middlemen between the advertisers and the publishers. Right. Or, you know, and in that case, I mean, I, I work with people who do that and they're good people. They're nice people, comma. Uh, when you're working with somebody who's bringing you ads as a podcaster, always understand they're working for the advertiser. They're not working for you. Right. That's important to keep in mind. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that that will eventually evidence itself in your relationship. That is not a bad thing, but it's very much something to be aware of. They're not your agent. They are the agent for the advertisers. Right. They're, they, are, they are going to say, how much do you need from this to place this ad? Um, I've never been talked up by one of those people. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Can we get you some been, more? They generally, like, want to pay, they generally want to pay about half of right. what I would expect. Just what, almost exactly one half of, of what I expect. And I say, oh, okay, that seems like something that'll be good for you. Well, you know, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned ads in magazines and... Uh, and and when we were talking before about what kinds of advertisements work, for me, you know, I was uh, so recently on this port to tr- uh, trip to Portland. Uh, my uh, my colleague, who my producer has, uh, she went and got this September this big deal September issue, September Vogue of the Vogue, yeah. Which, if you have not seen this issue, that's what I was describing. It's seven hundred pages, right? Yeah, seven hundred pages. And she had this thing on the plane. So I got to read this thing. And I mean, I'm sure that over the course of my life, I've seen a September issue of the Vogue before that I, uh, that you've I've never seen that. You've never seen the movie, the September issue. And I no, I've never seen that, but I've seen, huh. uh, the, uh, devil wears Prada, which is, oh, I think very, the same, yeah. same movie. Kind of, kind of sort of a romantic play, uh, Anna Wintour. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Did you know what any of those words meant just now? <laughs> Anna, Anna Wintour. <laughs> I know those Lady words. with the glasses. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I read this and it's, it's not clear which photographs are from the magazine, which photographs are the ad. And you know what? It doesn't matter. And it's not that it blurs together. It's that, as you said earlier, the advertisements there are as valuable and as entertaining as the, and in fact, people are buying it for the ads. And what a wonderful scenario is that the magazine is being purchased because of the ads that it contains. What an amazing concept. And I, I think, think, I think that's kind of true for a lot of those men's magazines too. Those, uh, those uh, vaguely uh, homoerotic magazines about fitness and, and boobs where, uh, I mean like all, I think, you know what Maxim, I guess, yeah, or Maxim, uh, maybe FHM or any of those. FHM, I haven't followed right. these in years. Yeah, those but, were I mean, those popular are, those, in college times. I think the ads are a huge part of that. Yeah, they probably yeah. are, and I think there's a tremendous value, entertainment value, when a, whether it's a sponsorship or an advertisement or something like that is done well and done right and actually adds to the content that's being created. And I think, you know, you often read websites, especially independent ones, that talk about how important their sponsors and their advertisers are, and uh, I you know, I really respect that when a content creator is 
in in real life saying, you know what, sponsor, you you won't work with our audience. Or yes, I understand you're trying to give me money, but that's not the kind of ad or the kind of sponsorship or the kind of thing that uh, that we want uh, on on this site. And I really do respect that. And at the same time, you know, I think I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a very successful, very large website geared at guys. And it's been going for many years and it's very successful, makes a lot of money. And he was explaining to me that the banner ads over the years have been making less and less and less money. They've been selling less and less and less. And his response to this as that slow change started to happen was to start doing essentially sponsored posts. And the sponsored posts not only are more lucrative uh, for for him, but work better for the sponsor too and are less obtrusive to the reader. And in fact, he says that they are clicked on way, way, way more than banner ads have ever been clicked on because they are going to be written by the staff usually themselves. You know, they're they're like the tone and the content of the rest of the site and that potentially that becomes the future. It's not so much the RSS feed sponsorship that was going for a while as much as the concept of these sponsored posts coming out. When they're written and they add value and they fit in, they become very much like that Vogue advertisement that's only going to be in Vogue. You know, that that the watch company or the purse company or whoever it is says, we're doing our Vogue September issue shoot now and we're hiring these people to be in it and these people to shoot it and we're styling it this way and that is just going to go in this one magazine and it's special and the only place that people will get to see this special thing is in this one magazine. That to me feels like the future of web advertising and you know what? That's a lot of what we do in podcast advertising already. You know, the reads that we do on this show are not like the reads that I might do on another show, let alone would be done on a completely different show that I'm not on. And customizing those reads for the audience, getting sponsors that will work with the audience is something that we spend, I know you spend a lot of time on it too now. You know, it's so important. And that's one of these things that has differentiated podcasts so much. I think the web has to has to adopt that philosophy. They have to adopt the Vogue philosophy of advertising in order for people to to not want to just block all the content and get away from it, you know? And as far as yeah. the tracking thing goes, and we probably don't have much time for that, but as far as the tracking thing goes, it's just that I, I don't blame anybody for not wanting to be tracked. And I don't think that tracking, I know there's a lot of money in that, but I don't I don't hear anybody advocating for that. Can you advocate for the, the, the tracking? I can on behalf of the advertiser, sure. I mean, I mean, it totally makes sense. But but as far do as... I, do I like... Are you asking me if I like yes. it or do I understand why it exists? I'm asking if, if you... I don't think it's a purely nefarious Mr. Burns thing to steal your mojo. But I do think it's something where advertisers are extremely picky. I mean, you know, the thing is, guys, you know, when you have those links and it's got all those AdSense things in the URL, because, you know, we've all set it up that way. Well, you're doing that too. <laughs> Even if you're not checking it. I think I set it up that way a million years ago on this one side. But like URLs, uh, URLs are kind of a little bit broken all over the place because of all these these janky uh, tracking things that we all yeah, do. Yeah. And so like you've never you've never gone into uh, Google uh, analytics 
to find out where your referrers are coming from? Well, of course, everybody does that. You never went in to see like where there's like, you know, increases in these, well, well that's very different. That's for my business. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, everybody's got their reasons. Let's all relax. <laughs> so no, I do not like them at all. I have Ghost reinstalled. And before that, I had the IBA opt out in yeah. Chrome. Um, yeah, I don't want that stuff. But okay, so what's, what is the really salient distinction between the ad blocker or the... Um, the ad trackers that we all universally hate because they're the devil right. and ads on website. What's, what's the really big, why is it that people aren't doing more defending of the ad trackers, even though they have in some cases 30 of them running on their site? Right. Why are people defending those? Uh, I don't know. Why do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, but ads are obviously the sacrosanct thing that, that cause our kids to be able to live. But we, so we, I notice a lot of people are defending the, the ad part and like how that keeps everybody employed. But I wonder why there aren't more people defending the trackers now that we all know what the trackers are able to do. Maybe I because mean, so they just... unsavory stuff. Yeah, I think that's why. I think they're not really defensible. I think that, you know, I, I think that if, if you're going to, you know, I think it's very important what you just said. Where are my visitors to my website coming from? What are they doing on the site? Like, that's important for me because if they really like this one article that I wrote about cats and they really didn't like this other article I wrote about owls, I'm going to write more cat articles. <laughs> you know, like that's the that's the kind of like thing I want. I want to know what, what the dance new site, the owl and the pussycat, the owl and the pussycat. I want to know you know, what they're, what they're listening to or what they're reading rather. And I, I also want to know what they're listening to. You know, if people, we can't do that because everybody uses a different podcast client and there are lots of problems there is why we can't get kind of play analytics yet that we really need in podcasting, but on the web you can. So that's fine. But why do we need all of these cross site trackers? Why do we need so many trackers? It seems like every kind of track, it's just, so I, I, I would I like to see someone defend those. Well, okay, and I'm being I'm deliberately being provocative here um, because this is this is this gets us deeper into this interesting conversation. Where uh, let's go back to Merlin's earlier thesis: people like stuff that's not difficult to do and is relatively de- dependable, mm-hmm. right? If you put this on a matrix of an X and Y, we would all tend to move toward the direction of less difficult than more difficult and more reliable rather than less reliable. <clears throat> and the truth is, if it means pasting in three lines of javascript into the header for for a file that's going to work across your site and you know you don't really have to sweat it like how much are you really going to debate that how much are you really going to think about that until somebody calls you on it and you go oh okay i guess i get that you know maybe i could take that off but when you take that off then the ads go away and now all of a sudden your kids can't eat again (laughs) again it's complicated there's way more to this the ads i think a lot of times the ads are the like the, the fish food but the tracking is maybe like where a lot of the most interesting stuff is happening yeah, and I don't, I don't like seeing underwear ads everywhere. That troubles me. I get that on Tumblr, too. I see lots of underpants on Tumblr. Way too much underpants. And just to be clear, I mean, I look at lots of weird stuff on the internet, but not that much underpants. What am I, 14? Did you have anything else to tell me about that you like? The last thing I'll tell you about this week is Squarespace. Talk about making Woo! websites. Here's a great way to make a website. Squarespace.com. They made a special URL just for this show. Squarespace.com slash back to work. And if you use the code, it's your show, all one word, you're going to get 10% off your first purchase when you go there and you want to design and build a really amazing website and you want to pay only eight bucks to do it and you want to get a free domain if you sign up for a year. I mean, you probably know the spiel for Squarespace because we've been talking about them for a while, but it doesn't change the fact that Squarespace is really awesome and more and more sites out there 
are uh, are getting getting this. They're getting the idea that you don't have to start from scratch and you don't have to build an entire website from scratch if that's not your primary uh, your primary thing, building websites. It's probably not. You probably have another business. Maybe it's a restaurant. Maybe you're selling some really cool stuff. Maybe you're a band, right? Maybe you have a podcast. Maybe you just want to release your iOS app and you don't want to spend weeks building a website to promote it. Squarespace has got you covered. Go check them out. The long, the short, and the tall of it is eight bucks a month, free domain name if you sign up for a year, no knowledge of HTML or CSS, but if you do, you can even customize it further. You can sell stuff. Go check it out. Squarespace.com slash back to work. Go set up a website. It takes you about five minutes and save 10% with that code. It's your show. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. You hit a couple buttons and you got a website. Yeah. Eddie Vedder for Squarespace. <laughs> nice. That was not actually Eddie Vedder. Please be aware. They didn't pass performances. Um, <laughs> I got to go. Here's my only thought. Here's my parting thought. My parting thought. Be as empathetic to other people as you are to yourself. That's what they call a way homer. I got a hard out. All right, man. Can you believe it. that? Go. Want to talk more about this next time? Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's button this up. All right. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.